Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, I... uh kind of thinking about that little quote, none of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. That really summarizes the week we've had, and uh, the layers and layers of folks who have all done small things with great love, and uh, it was uh, an amazing week, and uh, I think uh, all the grown-ups are exhausted, and uh, all the children uh, would do it again. Uh, all the parents would say, less sugar next year. But you do know that sugar is the fuel upon which Vacation Bible School runs, right? <laughs> so um, we're thinking together in these weeks about uh, the greatest story ever told. And so if, I, if someone were to come to you and say to you, what is the story of the Bible, what would your response to that be? And maybe the second question would be, and what does that have to do with you today? Because it matters. It matters how we think about the whole of Scripture. Because most of us, because we have heard over and over the stories within the story, we haven't necessarily stepped back to think about what the big narrative is telling us. And it's interesting because the design patterns of Scripture, the authors, diverse over a period of time, telling different stories, even in different genres of literature, are all entering into design patterns in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that bring for us, create for us, this very comprehensive narrative. And so we've talked about that it's a redemptive story, and we've talked about it being a creative story, and today we're going to talk about it being a story of purpose. And and I think it matters for us to kind of theologically set the stage. Everybody doing well? It's It's a great room to worship in, isn't it? Last week, uh, there was a guest with us for the first time, and on the way out of the door, he, uh, he said, uh, when I came in and I knew you were doing the greatest story ever told, and the, you, know, you had this coordinated graphic, he said, I thought, that's a little over the top. <laughs> but then I realized it was vacation Bible school, so I guess it's okay. So... Uh, We're we're thinking about what it looks like, and and theologically speaking, this is a very important distinction because this affects everything about how we relate to God. Uh, On the one hand, we have a mentality that God's already decided everything, and and He being all-powerful, it's all done, it's all a done deal, the power of God. Yeah, amen. On the other hand, over here, we, we sort of enter into this place about how do I affect things? What do I need to be doing over here? And so we we live in this place of God's power and our responsibility. And I don't know about you, but but I don't know that you can define all of that. I hear people say it doesn't really matter. God's already done it all. It's all decided. But, But it would be hard to read the biblical narrative and not believe that things like praying matter. That things like being obedient matter. It would be very difficult to read the story and believe that our choices don't have some impact on what God is doing in the world. So the idea that it doesn't matter at all would not be where we want to end up theologically. Nor would we want to be over here saying it's all up to me. If I don't have enough faith, if I don't figure it out, if I don't get it right, I'm going to mess up the whole system. Well, that's not really true either. But somewhere in between these two realities is the biblical narrative. 
God does and we do. And what we call this tension is covenant. God invites us into this very unique relationship. He's going to do his part. He's going to invite us to do our part. And we have purpose in that. If we do not believe that our choices matter, our attitudes matter, our spirits matter, then we're going to struggle to find our purpose. We're going to struggle to see our worth. We're going to struggle to see what God has invested. And the scripture has an audacious perspective. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation as though God himself is making his appeal through us. How do you... How do you misinterpret that piece of scripture (laughs) that you and I have a role to play? We have something to do in the process. So that John 10.10, Jesus makes one of those summation statements. We'll talk about different ones as we move through this series. but, But here's one. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have and have it to the full. What is the narrative about? It's about how there are two narratives running in life. There's a narrative that says the world's falling apart. Something's being stolen away. Something's being destroyed. And there's a narrative that says God has come to have life and have it to the full. Which narrative do you live in? Which most occupies your minds and thoughts and conversations? Because it matters. It matters the track on which we run. And so as we think about God's purposes, that becomes very vividly illustrated when we think about purposes. And the very first story of covenant we have, although you could argue that it's present in the garden when Adam and Eve are told, you can eat of the tree of this, but don't eat of that tree, and here's what I'm going to do. I'll take care of you. I'll do everything. Just don't do this one thing. You know. And then we, we could talk about all the theological implications, but really what it means is if you were standing in the garden and God said, I'll give you everything, but don't eat, guess where we'd all be? Under the tree. Because uh, that's what we do now. Here's, here's everything I'm going to, I will, I will, I will, I will. You don't. And we'll be over here on the don't. Right? So I loved it when I was in youth ministry because the kids would always ask, how far can I go? And still be okay with God. And what's unique about kids is they're just asking it out loud. The rest of us are just acting out. <laughs> Amen? And so we find this idea woven into the very beginning, even creation. But it really becomes official with a man named Abram, who was of the Ur of the Chaldeans. The Ur of the Chaldeans, the city of Ur, uh, were worshipers of the moon god. And Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor... Uh, here's the voice of God and says, go. And so he goes. <laughs> he gets up and he takes his family. And we're told he takes Abram and his wife Sarai. And, and he takes Nahor and his wife Milcah and their son Lot. And they head off to the promised land. They're really going to Canaan. They're invited to go to Canaan. Uh, but they make it as far as Haran and there Terah stops. And he stays. And he stays until he dies. And at the age of 75... God now speaks to Abram, and he says to him, listen, I want you to go. And so this conversation, this beginning of covenant between Abraham and God, which is really going to set the precedent. It's going to define relationship. It's going to define how God interacts with his creation. He's going to sort of define the the management-labor relationship. You know where I'm coming from? (laughs) The God-creation relationship. Okay, the father-child relationship. (laughs) We're going to get this definition. 
And this pattern of covenant is going to get repeated in all the narratives that will follow. There is always going to be this thing. Here I am. Here you are. I'm going to do this. You need to do this. And so we're setting patterns here, not just telling the one story of Abram. It starts in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make, listen to all these I wills. I will bless your name. Uh, I, will, I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all their possessions and that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there, and Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. So, so you have a scene in which God has appeared to Abram and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I want you to go. Now we know running underneath this story is the fact that Abram's 75 years old when God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now Abram doesn't bring it up in the first conversation. He just says, okay, I'll go. But it's going to come up very quickly that there is no child, that there's no offspring. That the idea of becoming a great nation has to start somewhere. And so far, there's not much hope of it happening. And they're defining. There's this defining moment, this opening of covenant. I will bless you. I will lead you. I will give you the land. I will give you an inheritance. I will give you an identity. I will make you into a great nation. I like this part. I will bless those you bless. I will curse those who curse. Yeah, <laughs> I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Oh, and walk before me and be blameless. And so this covenant relationship matters how you act, matters what you say, it matters where you go, matters how you behave, it matters what your choices are. I'm going to do a lot of things, but you have very genuine purpose and very genuine responsibility in this process. In all things, I will work for your good. I have plans for you not to harm you, but to prosper you and give you a future. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. But I want you to engage with me because your choices matter. And how you think matters. And how you relate to the people around you. Oh, and by the way, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. This is not just about you. It's, you're not the repository for all things good. You're not the dumping ground or the final destination. You're the conduit through which this is all going to pass. This is your purpose in God. So Abram goes. We're told later on in Hebrews, he goes on not knowing. He doesn't know where he's going. Abram, can you imagine this scene? Abram, where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> well, why are you leaving? God said so. God who? <laughs> you know, but he goes. And he gets to the land. And he walks the land, and he goes to Shechem, and he builds an altar, and God says, I'm going to give you everything you see. And so he gets up, and he goes further. <laughs> he 
And he builds an altar, and God says, I'm going to give you everything you see. And when we leave him, he's still going. He's heading down to the Negev. <laughs> he's still expanding the vision and the territory. Now, he's 75 years old when this journey starts, and a couple of things are going to happen. There's going to be a famine. Don't you love the way the patterns exist? There's going to be a famine in the land, in the promised land, and guess where Abram is going to need to go to get food? Egypt. He's going to need to go to Egypt. And so he goes to Egypt. So as he's traveling to Egypt, he looks at his wife and he says, Listen, Sarah, you are a beautiful, beautiful woman. And I'm afraid when we get over in Egypt, they're going to see your beauty, and they're going to kill me, and they're going to take you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say you're my sister. Can you imagine the beauty of this conversation? I mean, can you imagine how this conversation went? We're going to say you're my sister. Because then what's going to happen is they're going to show me favor because you're beautiful. So they arrive in Egypt. And Abram is not all wrong. In fact, Pharaoh takes notice of the beauty of Sarah. And has her become a part of his harem. This is in the Bible, by the way. This is the part where you go, I'm not making it up. <laughs> and we're told that, that as Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem, that he also benefits Abram by giving him the choicest of lands and the choicest of livestock. And, and Abram starts to become a very wealthy person. Pharaoh, on the other hand, is having all kinds of grief. And he can't figure out why. And finally, he discovers that Sarah is the wife of Abram. And he, he goes to Abram and says, what have you done to me? I would never have done such a thing. <laughs> take your wife, take your belongings, and get out of Egypt. <laughs> and so they leave. And they travel back to the promised land. And once in the promised land, God renews the covenant. He comes again and speaks to him. Genesis 15. After this... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And God says, you've got no children, but don't worry. That's not going to be your heir. There's going to be an heir that comes directly from you. you he tells him again, you're going to possess all this stuff. You're going to possess it. I love verse 8. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? <laughs> Which sums it up. I mean, isn't that the question we're all asking? How can I know? How can I know you're going to do what you say? How can I know you're going to help me? How can I know you're in the middle of this? How can I know you're with me? How can I know? How can I know? How can I know? Well, the just will live by faith. No, no, no. How can I know? <laughs> no, no, you've got to trust me. No, no, no. We're, 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 we're crossing paths here. I want to know how I can know. I want you to trust me. I want to know how to know. See that, how that's going on? The God part and the us part? I want you to trust me. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You, you do know those words are spoken to the people in exile, right? Who are saying, send us home, send us home. We don't want to live here, send us home. And he says, you better settle down. You better go ahead and plant your gardens and you better marry your children and have children and grandchildren because it's going to be a long time before you go home. But I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I'm in it for your good. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But how can I know? Yeah, I, don't, I need to know some things. 
And at Genesis 15, the contract is renewed. I mean, at the end of 15, we have a classic moment of ancient people entering into binding contracts. And they take, it's very vivid, so, you know, if you don't have a stomach for this stuff. So they take an animal and they divide it. And they put one half on each side. And, and Abram walks between the animals. And then we're told that a, a burning pot of coal is passed through. By the power of God, it passes through. And the, and the ancient ritual was that you walked through and said, may this, may be what is done unto this animal be done unto me if I ever break this contract. <laughs> Which is kind of worse than sue me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we've become quite civilized over these centuries. And he renews the covenant. But how will I know? And he's 86 years old. Don't worry, Abram, you're going to have a child. I'm not sure I want one. <laughs> I'm 86. I feel like maybe my, my child-rearing years are behind me a little bit. And, and Sarah's 77, and she, she's not thinking it's a good idea at this point. Don't worry, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And in the meantime, Abram and Sarah, they decide together that they will help God out. So they have a conversation. They go, well, you know, it doesn't seem like God's doing much. Maybe you and I ought to put our heads together and figure out a little something-something. Any of this sound familiar? Maybe there's a workaround we haven't figured out yet. And Sarah comes to Abram and she says, you know what? You know, what we could do is you could have Hagar... And you could have a child with Hagar because technically then, you know, she's serving as a surrogate mom and that's really our child. That's what the law is. And so Hagar becomes pregnant and bears a child and his name's Ishmael. And Abraham and Sarah are like, hey, we're on our way. We got the, the child of the inheritance is here, except immediately it becomes divisive. And it becomes so divisive that finally Abram in desperation says, Hagar, take Ishmael and go back to your people you will not, you, we, we, can't, we can't coexist like this. Doesn't that always happen? When we get over here and we sort of overstep our bounds and we start to do things that we know, you know, they seem logical to us or they seem like a workaround to us, but instead of living over here in faith and trust, we get way over here into doing it ourselves because we're sick and tired of waiting and we're still asking the question, how can I know? How can I know? How can I know? How can I know? Yes, promise, 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 blah, 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 blah. How do I know? How do I wait in this space that looks to me impossible? It seems to me, and you do understand, again, we're telling the narrative of Abram, but this is the story of Scripture. It is repeated over and over and over and over. Yes, I know you're saying, but how will I know? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it myself, and I'm going to do it my own way. That's not going to go well. I'm going to see I'm going to desire, I'm going to take. And it's not going to work out well. So Sarah and Abram wait. Finally, we find them in chapter 17, and this is the conversation. When Abram was 99 years old. Now, I want to stop. <laughs> it has been 13 years since they've heard from God. And they have been asked to remain faithful. They've been asked to stick to the covenant. They've been asked to hang in there. And for 13 long years, God has been silent. We don't have any record of anything going on in this time. And meanwhile, every single day, the sand is passing through the hourglass. You get it? 
I mean, not only is hope dying, it's literally dying. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And it's not just the story of Abram. It's our story, too. It's the story of every single narrative that's going to take place in this whole thing. I mean, maybe somewhere God was like giving people what they wanted and what they thought they needed right away. Those are not the stories that are featured in this narrative. I mean, don't you know people who seem to get what they need and want right away? All right. There's got to be people in this room who look around and go, why them? Why not me? All right. I was starting to think it was just me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now listen listen here for Abram's reaction. Abram fell face down. It is about time. I mean, it's almost like God is more concerned with the attitude of Abram's heart than he is with the circumstances that are going on. It's almost like God is saying, when you get face down and shut your mouth, we'll be ready for the next step. And I don't know about you, but I wonder this. I wonder if at 75, if Abram would have shut his mouth and gotten face down, if God wouldn't have said, okay, let's have a child. But instead he said, I don't even think you're ready. You got, a, you got a lot of attitude going on up in there. There's an awful lot of fighting and wrestling and anxiety. And I see a lot. You got a lot of words coming at me. I ask you to walk before me and be blameless. And I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. How you respond matters. What's going on in your head and your heart matters. What I really want from you is a place of surrender. The circumstances are not what... I don't know about you, but I get this upside down a lot. I mean, I really look at my life and I say, you know, God, here are my circumstances. And when you start fixing these things, I will really understand how much you love me. Amen? And God says... I love you, and I want you to look at your circumstances through those lenses. I don't want you to look at me through the lenses of your circumstances. And that is exactly opposite to my human condition. I want to look at this and go, God, what? And God says, I want you to put on your faith glasses and go, it's all good. And I want you to do that every day, and I want you to do it all the time, and I want you to live in that spirit all the time. In fact, I want you to walk by faith. I want you to be certain of what you hope for and sure of what you do not see. And I want you to live in that spirit every day. And when I show up and I say hello, I want you to go face down and shut your mouth. And I really believe God needs my input. I mean, I know he's sovereign and omnipotent and all-knowing. But I have very important things to tell him about the world and about my life. 
Amen? And so finally, Abram falls face down. We don't, it's, here's his, oh, that he would have responded this way earlier. <laughs> falls face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Now you'll be called Abraham. See how that is? He doesn't get his name changed till right now. The transformation doesn't happen till right now. For I've made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Cana where you now are now an alien I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants and I will be their God. And then God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for generations to come. So right here in the middle of the process, he falls down face first. And, 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 and now God says, now I'm going to make the whole transformation. And the transformation begins. And Sarah becomes pregnant. You, you do know that in the story, Sarah is listening to this conversation between God and Abram. And you do know Sarah's response to it. She laughs. Maybe she laughed for joy. She was 90, about to have a child. <laughs> or maybe she just laughed. <laughs> maybe she just thought, how comical. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. And he works and he works and he works. And he keeps his promises. But how we respond and how we choose and how we act matters. Because that's the power of covenant. And though I can't explain it all, and I don't know how it all works, there's no one-for-one -one relationship. I don't do things right, and then God blesses me out of that. I wish he would, wouldn't you? But then probably if it was set up like that, then every time I messed up, he'd have to punish me. And then that would be tiresome. I observe several things that I think matter to us out of this little story. I think finding God's purpose means letting go of the known for the unknown. When Jesus prays in the garden, he says these words, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And when I look at my life and I think about what's known about my life, there are things that I want God to do. That's the known. Here are the circumstances. Here's what's going on. Here's what needs to be fixed. Here's who needs attention. Uh, you can smite those people, you know, bless those people. <laughs> and don't you imagine that somewhere in finding our purpose is this reality. This is what I know, God, but you know what I don't know. And I am tired of anguishing over what I know. I'm tired of wrestling over what I know when what I don't know is so much greater than what I know. And if I'm going to find my purpose, it means letting go of what I know in favor of the things that I don't know. I, uh, I like to be in control. Anybody else here sort of favor control over non-control? Good, 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 my people. <laughs> and I find as I'm getting older, that's getting worse. Uh, maybe it's because I'm more fragile now. I, uh, uh, Friday night we had a carnival here. How many of you were at the carnival? Good, thank you. <laughs> and uh, my job at the carnival every year is scooping root beer floats. 
I am very embarrassed to tell you, I am very sore. <laughs> Some stuff going on here. I mean, so as you get older, as you get older, you know, you fall apart. You know, things don't work as well. You can actually injure yourself scooping ice cream. <laughs> Carnival. So I like to be in control now because as you get older, you've got to control things. Well, let me figure out a workaround because not, I'll be on a Sunday morning with my arm not working. I got frozen shoulder from. And I wonder how many times God encounters me and my response to him is to unload all that I know instead of surrendering what I know for what is unknown. God, here is, and I'm invited to tell him, here's what I need. Here's what it looks like to me. Just like Jesus, if it be your will. But somewhere I have to get to that next part. Nevertheless, it's not what I want, it's what you want. And I'm going to trust it. I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to rest in it. In fact, I'm just going to get face down and shut up. Imagine not trying to formulate words. Imagine not trying to put all the energy that it takes to tell God what he needs to know. Imagine just getting face down and being quiet and saying, you know what, God? I trust you to have my best interest at heart. Finding our purpose means trading the known for the unknown. Number two, finding our purpose means investing in much more than we can ever live to see. I don't know about you, but don't you at some point sort of try to trace the trajectory of your life so that you end at just the right moment? You know, like my feeling is, you know, I want to end when all of the money is gone. <laughs> Sadly, the situation I'm in is if I work to about 90, I could be broke. I could, I could get back to being broke. That would be awesome. But I think about this. I'm not in this for the perpetuation of my own existence. I know where I'm headed. I know the reality of that. And I know that I want to live in such a way that my children and my children's children and my children's children's children and on and on live in a legacy that has deep significance because I am invited to live in the God story and I'm invited to live in deep time and my attitude and my spirit matters. My choices matter. And they don't just matter to me, they matter to them and to the people who will live beyond them. And I want to live in that space. And finding my purpose means I stop trying to slide in at the end of life broke. <laughs> it means that I am investing in the future that is far beyond me because I believe in the eternal kingdom of God. And I'm not just living for today. I'm living for all of the tomorrows of all of the people who will come behind me because I have been entrusted with covenant to carry the story of God in my generation and to rest with my ancestors and let the story live on. And you and I are all invited into that place. Finding purpose means we are living for something that is more than we can ever live to see. Finding God's purpose means we trust in the intangible. I, I love this idea that the world is no longer enchanted as it was for the ancients. The ancients believed that the world was full of spirit. I mean, sometimes in an animistic way, but they believed in the power of 
a very vivid reality of spirituality. We live in a culture that believes that this is all there is. You, me, what we think, what we know. That is such a depressing way to live. That you and I are invited to believe in the power of God present in this place, that this is his creation. We don't have to believe it. There are other narratives. I'm going to tell you this. They're not nearly as interesting. And that you and I are invited to believe in a power that is greater than ourselves. I'm not in this by myself. I'm in a covenant relationship with the divine God of the universe who calls me child and who knows my name. And I don't have to believe that. Here's what's so ironic to me. While a lot of us don't necessarily believe in the power of God to intervene in our lives and that we are the children of God and that he knows our name, we don't have any trouble believing that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We find the negative part of that equation very easy to believe. Yep, there's a force in the universe that is against me. There's also a force in the universe for you and not against you. And you're invited to live in that narrative and to look at life through that lens and to believe in the power of the intangible. Finally, finding God's purpose means we understand we are called to bless others. The covenant is always this. <laughs> through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through you. You're not the end point of the blessing. You know, the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea for a reason. It's all input, no output. Can't live like that. You get stagnant, dead, smell bad. <laughs> and you and I are created to be a blessing. And I wonder how many of us look at our life and go, how can I be a blessing today? What would, what would I need to do today? What opportunities? Do you ever just wake up in the morning and go, God, what an adventure this is going to be. I'm going to go out in the world today, and what people are you going to bring across my path, and in what way might I be a blessing to them? And I just wonder what would happen if we just took on that, that sense. I have a pastor friend who says, I want you to, as a congregation, I want you to live with your arms wide open. I just want you to start living with your arms wide open. Just, you know, your spirit, your heart, your mind, because somebody needs a hug. Don't hug them. It's not PC. <laughs> just a metaphor. Last thing I need is people in court saying, Pastor Dave said. <laughs> Metaphorically, live with your arms wide open. <laughs> what would it be like for you to be a blessing? And then I love the fact that Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples, first in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. I want you to start at home. When you start being a blessing at home, before you try to go to the uttermost parts of the world and be a blessing, be a blessing in Jerusalem. Make it happen at home. And then Judea, the surrounding area. <laughs> and then Samaria, where people aren't like you. They don't think like you, and they don't look like you, and they don't act like you. And then if you got all that work, and then get to the uttermost parts of the world. But the commissioning is that you and I are created. Our purpose is to bless the lives of others. God's invited us to live like that. This narrative of Abraham is not just the narrative of Abraham. It's the pattern of all the stories that will follow. I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk before me. Be blameless. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God, would you help us? You've invited us into a place of covenant. You said that we would receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit came on us and that we would be your witnesses, that we would participate in this story of deep time, that we would be in the narrative along with Abraham and Sarah and all of those who will follow. This is our story. And so I pray today as we sing these powerful words that you know our name, that you would challenge each one of us. May we spend some time today face down, no talking, quiet before you. My prayer is that we would release some burden, some tension, some anxiety, some wrestling, that we would trust you in faith to take care of us. Would you speak to us about the reality of the purpose for which you have created us and encourage us with the fact that this is a family event. You know our names and you love us. Thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Let's stand and respond to the word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.